I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello to my beautiful, effervescent, smart, supportive, wonderful ragers. I am so glad to be nearing this retail phase of my life. I had my last closing shift today and it felt so good. It felt so, so good. I am so glad that I only have one week left and only three more shifts and I officially have about 30 more hours free each week to devote to my podcasting career. And I'm so excited. I feel very thankful that I'm able to do it. I'm glad that I was able to finagle my financial situation in a way that that can happen. And yeah, I'm very, very excited for a little bit of context I've been working the retail job roughly 30 hours a week, sometimes more, for the past year or so, along with having a nanny job that I work four times a week. Now I have another nanny job that I do at least once a week, sometimes more, and I help take care of another friend's child. So my work week, podcasting and all, usually tallies up to being more than 70 hours worth of work. So the fact that I can get 30 hours taken off of that and I can actually get like a 40-hour work week sounds pretty wonderful to me because I don't know if people realize how much work goes into this show, especially having two episodes a week and doing it by myself. I did not realize what an undertaking it would be at first, especially because when you have another person, you know, Keegan and I, 
I could just converse and wing it and like whatever I didn't have she had and we could just kind of like pick up each other's slack in that way and when you're by yourself you've got to get everything done you need way more prep done it takes longer it's a whole thing so I'm really really glad that I am doing this on my own. I feel really proud of what I've been able to do. And I'm really, really glad that I'm able to take more and more of my time toward the thing that I'm really, really passionate about. So thank you, everyone, for all of your support. I really appreciate it. And I'm just in a really wonderful mood, even though it's pretty late on a Sunday night and this episode has to be up tomorrow morning. So I've got my glass of wine and I'm ready to talk about today's topic. And oh, I'm so excited, actually, because today we are going to be talking about American Girl Dolls. And that was a huge part of my childhood. As a kid born in the early 90s, I can tell you that American Girl Dolls and the company in general were everything. I think the first American Girl doll I got was a birthday present from my mom and dad. It was one of those Just Like Me dolls, which now has a different name, I've learned. And my doll was fashioned with brown hair and bangs, blue, green eyes, and a freckled nose, with the doll I received matching PJs to wear with her. Since she was my alter ego, I decided to name her Maggie, inverting the D's and Maddie to G's. Actually, once I was at a skating competition and they inverted the D's in Maddie and the G's in Haggerty and announced my name Maggie Hatterty. And every time I rewatched that tape back when I was a kid, it made me giggle. So Maggie has always been like my alter ego or like secret name that I use. My aunt and uncle slash godparents got me this really cool yellow bunk bed with red and white striped bedding for Christmas that year, and I remember wishing I could crawl onto the little top bunk to sleep. This was probably because I always wanted bunk beds, but my mom always refused. I also could be confusing my first dolls, and the first one I got also could have been Molly, but I think she came after Maggie. Molly was my favorite doll of all of the historical characters because I thought she seemed the most like me brown hair and freckles, braids and bangs, but she had glasses and I didn't, which I thought was super cool. I liked that her glasses even came with a little red case and cloth to clean them. My favorite outfit of Molly's were her striped red and white pajamas, and I really remember wishing I had a matching set. As you know, I've always been a bookworm, and I loved Molly's series. I'm not sure if this predates my Anne Frank obsession or not, but the books definitely caught my interest with Molly's description of wartime in America. It was because of Molly that I was so terrified of the new war that began in 2002 after the World Trade Center attacks. What if I had to give up sugar and butter like Molly did? That was pretty much all that was on my mind and all that my little nine-year-old brain could handle at the time. Now, my obsession of playing with dolls held on a little longer than most young people, I would think, and over the years, I would receive Biddy Baby, the Biddy Twins, and the dog Coconut. So cute. As an only child and the youngest cousin, niece, grandchild, I was definitely spoiled in the present department in my family. I loved getting together and playing with my friends and their dolls. One friend had Samantha, who I thought was the prettiest, but seemed like the most stuck up. One friend had Felicity, and I remember admiring her red hair. Another friend had Kirsten, and I never thought much of her at all. If only I had known she lived in Minnesota. As I grew up, American Girl was growing up with me. I remember getting the book The Care and Keeping of You and treating it like it was the Bible. 
I would go to the pages of different stages of breasts and compare my own chest to the illustrations. I studied how to put in a tampon, only slightly queasy from the illustration, and felt around my armpits, wondering when I would start to feel stubble. If I had a question, that book had the answers. There was another book about surviving middle school that my mom gave me before starting sixth grade. Unfortunately, no American Girl booklet could have helped me survive my middle school experience, but I appreciated the advice nonetheless. I was also gifted this cool American Girl lettering book teaching you how to make all sorts of cool fonts and handwriting. That's definitely the catalyst to my typography obsession that is still with me today. American Girl was awesome. It was relatable, fun, age-appropriate, while still pushing boundaries and touching on important topics. And I loved them. I'm sure a lot of other kids from my generation feel the same. So I decided to dive into everything American Girl today. First, let's talk about the historical dolls. The OG American Girl dolls were the historical dolls collection, and they were first released on May 5th, 1986. The historical doll characters were aimed to teach aspects of American history to kids aged 8 and up through a series of six books from the perspective of the girl in that time period. The creator of the dolls, Pleasant Roland, got the idea after visiting Colonial Williamsburg, a living history museum in Virginia, which includes several hundred restored or recreated buildings from the 18th century, when the city was the capital of the colony of Virginia. Costumed employees worked and dressed as people did in the era, sometimes even using colonial grammar and diction. I remember wanting to go there since I was in middle school and watch the first season of Friends over and over and over again, and Ross's ex-wife and her fiancé, girlfriend, I don't know what she was at the time, but they were talking about how they were going to see the first female blacksmith at Colonial Williamsburg, and Ross says something like, Oh, yeah, Colonial Williamsburg, finally getting with the times or something like that. And I was like, that sounds like a really cool place to go. Pleasant Rowland worked as a school teacher from 1962 to 1968, then as a news reporter from 68 to 71. After that, she began a new career in publishing children's textbooks, as well as a publisher for the Children's Magazine Guide. In the 1970s, She created a comprehensive language arts program called Beginning to Read, Write, and Listen, which in some iteration is still taught in classrooms today, as is something she created called Super Kids in 1978 as a way to make reading education more fun and effective in young students. She would be in control of the American Girl Company until selling it to Mattel, the owners of Barbie, in 2008. And fun fact, I didn't write this in my notes, but... Barbie has like always been the number one doll, but American Girl has always been like right behind Barbie. Her history makes a lot of sense when you think about what the historical dolls were able to accomplish on some level. She also saw a gap in the toy world for a doll that was around the same age as the children playing with it. At the time, the most popular dolls were either baby dolls or Barbie dolls who were adults. By creating dolls of the same age of the child, then having that child read a story about the life of that doll, it gives potential to create empathy and a more educated and well-rounded human. And though these books are made for kids as young as eight, they still cover tough and important subjects like child labor, child abuse, poverty, animal abuse, war, racism, and slavery, but in an age-appropriate way for them to be able to digest it. However, most of the time, children would choose a doll that looks the most like them or has a similar background to them. So they're most likely getting a broader education about who they are in some way, 
but not so much about other cultures. I don't recall any white friends of mine having Addie or Josefina. I remember knowing their stories, but I know I didn't read all of the American Girl books. I knew the most about Samantha and Felicity because those were the most popular dolls amongst my group of friends, who were predominantly white. In this sense, you can argue that Pleasant didn't quite achieve their goal in educating children on different cultures. But this is my experience as well, so if any of you have had differing ones, I would love to hear about it. So first, let's take a look back at each doll, learn a little bit about them, and speak on what each doll is projecting to children. The first three dolls to be released were Kirsten, Samantha, and Molly. They were all made from the same face molds, but have different hair and eye color. Kirsten Larsen is a Swedish immigrant who settled in Minnesota after her uncle told her father of the rich and vast farmland there. It's true. My family thought the same thing on both sides. <laughs> King Charles of Sweden had reduced farmland, making it hard for Kirsten's and many other families to have enough food to feed themselves. She was born in 1845 in Ride, Sweden, or Rid, Sweden. I'm apologizing to any of my Swedish listeners that I may be offending right now. And her story takes place from the summer of 1854 to late winter of 1856. Kirsten and her family moved to Minnesota in 1854, traveling on a cramped ship with hundreds of other immigrants. And once they arrive, they do their best to balance their new American culture with their traditional Swedish traditions. Kirsten also struggles with not knowing the language, which scares her. She also watches her best friend Marta die of cholera. Kirsten is sensitive towards children and animals and makes friends easily. She also hates small spaces and is described as stubborn. Samantha Parkington, her name is a dead giveaway for her privilege, is an only child being raised by her wealthy Victorian grandmother, whom she calls Grandmary, after being orphaned at the age of five in the fictitious town of Mount Bedford. Her story takes place between 1901 and 1910. She befriends a poor servant girl who works for her neighbors named Nellie O'Malley, who's an Irish immigrant girl. Nellie opens Samantha's eyes to the conditions faced by children in the workforce and to a life of poverty that Samantha doesn't know. Eventually, Nellie and her sisters were adopted by Samantha's uncle and aunt. Nellie's aunt is a suffragette, which literally opens Samantha's mind up to the world of feminism. She is also a very hardworking girl and decided to get a job in order to pay for a new doll she wants herself. She also stood up for her family's seamstress after she gave birth by pressuring Grandmary to let her keep her job. Molly McIntyre lives in the fictitious town of Jefferson, Illinois, and her story takes place in the later years of World War II between the fall of 1943 and the summer of 1946. Her father is stationed in England as a doctor, caring for wounded soldiers. To play her part, Molly's mom starts volunteering most of her free time to the Red Cross in their hometown. Molly feels the need to find a way to support the troops, too, even though she hates that the war has caused less access to the things she loves, like sugar and butter, which I mentioned. <laughs> Molly and I had a lot of the same hobbies, including ice skating, tap dancing, and going to the movies and summer camp. Except the last one, I hated summer camp. She isn't good at math, same girl, and especially dislikes multiplication. She doesn't like turnips and is afraid to swim underwater. She is also insecure about her looks and is always trying to invent the new Molly, being fixated on being unique and original at all times. Her mother calls her a chatterbox, and she is prone to daydreaming and coming up with ideas and schemes. 
American Girl describes her as lively and lovable, with her official personality quiz describing her as feisty. Seven years later, more dolls and stories were added to the collection. I remember Felicity and Samantha being like the number one, I guess, one and two favorites amongst my friends growing up. And I felt like I knew a lot about Felicity and felt like I actually kind of maybe resonated with her more until this week when I learned something hella problematic about her. So let's talk about Felicity Merriman, who represented the pre and early American Revolutionary War period. Her doll was first released in 1991. She's nicknamed Lissy, which I think is so cute, but also weird because I really don't like the nickname Lizzie, probably because my grandmother didn't like it when people called my mom Liz Lizzie. And she is described as an open-minded girl, daring, spunky, and both brave and foolhardy at the same time. She's also described as a, quote, tomboy, however you may feel about that word. The shitty thing about Felicity is that her family were enslavers, and her grandfather owned lots of land and many enslaved people. And then once I started reading more about her, I was like, I don't care. I just learned that her family owns human beings, so I don't really care about the rest of your personality. But while there's that, she is also described as wanting the freedom to not have to behave ladylike and act the way that is expected of her. I'm going to move on because I don't want to spend time on someone like that. Kit Kittredge came out in 2000, and she was a girl living in Cincinnati, Ohio during the Great Depression. She isn't a fan of pink or ruffles and doesn't care for baking or cleaning or any other, quote, feminine tasks she's charged with. She loves to play baseball, and her favorite player is Ernie Lombardi, the catcher of the Cincinnati Reds. She fancies herself an amateur writer-reporter and loves to spend time in the newsroom for the Cincinnati Register. She's not a good artist, and she's a big fan of Amelia Earhart. Josefina Montoya, first name Maria, is a young Mexican girl living in Santa Fe during the early Mexican rule after Mexico achieved independence from Spain, but before the U.S. purchased the land. She lives on a ranch with her father and three sisters, along with other extended family members. Her mother unfortunately passed away a year before her series begins. She is described as patient and thoughtful and is often found out in nature. She's also very moved by music and is learning to play piano after watching her Tia Dolores play. Josefina is taught to be polite and ladylike and to always be in deference to men and her elders. She is expected not to speak to adults unless she is spoken to first, and she absolutely must not interrupt conversation amongst adults. She was also taught not to speak to anyone she doesn't know, any foreigners, or any other adult who is not a member of the family. She dreams of becoming a curandera, curandera, or curandela, or healer, just like her grandmother and aunts. Kaya, full name, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, Kaya Atonmi, was released in 2002, and she's part of the New Purse tribe. Her story takes place prior to the permanent settlement of the area by the colonists. Her story involves a lot of interacting with these colonists, and her grandma even got sick after contact with them. She's described as fierce and adventurous, and American Girl describes her as resourceful, daring, a generous spirit, and true-hearted. Now, I went out of order when listing some of these dolls because the one with the most notes that I have is about Addie Walker. Addie was added in 1993. 
Since she was of African-American descent, a new face mold was created just for her. Addie was born in the spring of 1855, but doesn't know her real birthday because she was born into enslavement. She later chooses her birthday to be April 9th, marking the date of the day of celebration signifying the end of the Civil War. Her birth name is Aduke, after her paternal grandmother, which means much loved in Yoruba. The series takes place first in North Carolina, then in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, between the late summer of 1864 to winter of 1866, representing the Civil War era. At the start of her story, Addie is enslaved with her family in North Carolina. An eight-year-old child, Addie is forced to work in tobacco fields as well as acting as a servant in the home. There is one particularly dark and disturbing part of her story where one of the men overlooking the enslaved forces Abby to eat tobacco worms. I can't imagine reading that passage without feeling ill. After she witnesses her father Ben and brother Sam being sold off to another family, she and her mother decided they had to escape. Sadly, they also had to leave behind Addie's baby sister, Esther, because a baby would be too unpredictable on the journey. Her mother, Ruth, was all Addie had left in the world of her family. She spends most of the series wishing for her family to reunite in freedom, and it would take a year for them to all be together again. Addie is described as brave, loving, as well as thoughtful and kind. She is known as being someone who often risks her own safety for the safety of others. American Girl also describes her as courageous and strong, as well as resilient. She's also really intelligent and learns to read and write quickly, even teaching her mother. Addie goes on to attend the Institute for Colored Youth to work toward her dream of becoming a teacher someday. In Addie's book, she expresses that she doesn't think it's right that white people believe they are entitled to enslave black people. She even states in one of the books that she hates white people. Then it's strange that an earlier book doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Addie was the first doll to have an advisory board, which included a number of experts, educators, doctors, and other professionals who were there to give their input and knowledge into Addie's story and character. Addie's character is the most based upon the trauma that they endure during their lives, and her story is the only one to acknowledge America's racist legacy. In an opinion piece from HelloGiggles.com, the writer states, Addie's story took the painful topic of slavery from the whitewashed pages of school textbooks and removed the distance created by indifference. Others didn't like that her story and personality relied so heavily on being enslaved, then formally enslaved. Addie was the only non-white doll until 1998. Allegedly, Pleasant Roland initially thought that introducing a black doll would be bad for the company's bottom line. She told Washington Post in 1993, I felt the company initially needed to get established financially before we could take the risk that may be inherent in presenting a doll via direct mail into the African-American market, because typically middle-class black consumers do not purchase much from direct mail catalogs. Pleasant! That is so racist! Also, maybe you should ask why most middle-class and black families don't have access to your product, which all has to do with systemic racism and capitalism. That's the real fucking problem. And maybe on top of all of that, you should make your dolls more affordable to everybody who deserves to have that education and experience and fun. Come on now. 
You're admitting to the problem right there and not wanting to fix it, which is super shitty. There was one article I read on a website called weird-sister.com, which was titled, What American Girl Dolls Mistaught Me About Race and Class. In it, the author of the article writes, The classism and status anxiety embedded in American Girl Dolls were integral parts of ownership, often trumping any historical or cultural knowledge gleaned. $95, now $100, a pop, was flat out unaffordable to most of the kids in elementary school, where I was one of the only white students. The issue of class, both within the dolls themselves and the owners of the dolls, is a big thing. Now, I was really lucky and privileged enough to have been raised in a home where we were always comfortable and were able to afford a separate lake house, family vacations, skating lessons, all things that weren't cheap, and aren't things that all kids I grew up with were able to participate in. Granted, we're poor as hell now. (laughs) Remember the good old days, Mom? I always felt like I was stuck between two opposite perceptions of my family's financial status. At school, I was seen as one of the richer kids. I don't remember many of my other friends having a lot of the things that I did. But then again, most of my friends in Catholic school also had numerous other siblings for parents to pay for. I did go to a Catholic school after all. At skating, however, my mom and I were plebs. My best friend in middle school eventually dumped me because my mom worked as a lunch lady, we liked to shop at thrift stores, and because my grades weren't up to her and her family's standards for friendship, I guess. I once saved $200 for so long to finally pay for my own Juicy Couture black velour set to match my friends at the rink, even though they all owned the entire Juicy Couture ice skating collection. My friends from skating always had the better version of any toy I had, and often had more accessories and such for their American Girl dolls as well. Having an American Girl doll was a status symbol for children, as well as for the parents who can brag about getting one for their child. I remember mostly being curious as to which friend had which doll as a kid, and what that would say about that friend's personality, much like asking what your friend's sign of the zodiac is now. Oh my gosh, she is such a Samantha. Usually meant your friend was a bit bratty or stuck up. The author of the article goes on to say, American Girl Dolls taught my generation to swallow a particularly insipid kind of diversity fetishism. Kids could consume snippets of other cultures upon purchase. They could absorb these scraps into their still coalescing identities. Moms could reassure themselves, thanks to their credit cards, they'd taught diversity sufficiently without their kids ever actually speaking to a person from another culture. Like I mentioned briefly earlier, everyone is exposed to different kinds of people depending on where they live. Therefore, their experience with a vast variety of races and cultures may vary. And as I mentioned, I grew up in Catholic school, so many of my friends from school hit a certain demographic. The neighborhood that I lived in had a lot of Mexican people, we had a very large Hmong population, and a small black population, along with a very, very small Jewish community as well. But very rarely did we have much diversity at my actual school. It was probably 98% white. My state in general also has many indigenous communities, which we interacted with often, which I'm really thankful for. Because I went to private school, the majority of the school was white, as not everyone was able to afford the tuition. Now, my middle school was much more diverse due to the neighborhood of the school being predominantly black and Hmong. Then my high school was super diverse. Hello, public school. And I was exposed to more and more different types of people. 
But before then, a lot of what I knew about different cultures was based on my own education on the subjects. I've mentioned many times on the show before that my favorite book growing up was The Diary of Anne Frank, and I consumed the book and its adjoining ABC miniseries, which I had recorded on a VHS tape, commercials and all, so many times that I was able to take in a lot of information about Jewish people, the Holocaust, and World War II. Molly and her book were like an extension of that, something I was already interested in and excited to learn more about. But with all that being said, I think it's a parent's responsibility to get their kids active in other cultures and communities so that they can actually interact. I think this is becoming more and more likely as whiteness is, thankfully, becoming more and more of a minority, and more parents are talking about representation and being sure that we are having a vast variety of friends for our kids' lives. Another argument made about the Historical Dolls book series is that though they are educational and speak heavily of equality and fairness, the books also heavily push societally understood gender roles. Each of the girls are described as adjectives like gentle, loyal, obedient, helpful, ironically teaching young girls the importance of being pleasant. Of course, it's a good idea to teach children kindness and positivity, even in the face of adversity, but it isn't always possible or healthy. With these two things, American Girl both whitewashed and moralized history. Unfortunately, in today's age, the historical dolls seem to be just that, a thing of the past. You know I work with a lot of Gen Z kids at my retail job, so tonight I was asking them, did you have American Girl dolls? If so, which one? Literally all of them said that they just had the one that looked like them or that they weren't into it because it was a little bit past their time. I asked my little nine-year-old if she had any American Girl dolls. She said yes, and she just had one that looked like her as well. I don't think it's as big of a deal now as it was then, and the historical ones really don't seem to be of interest to any of the kids. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. I'm going to take a deep breath and a sip of wine, and I'll see you in a minute. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now that I'm back, let's talk about the American girl of today, a.k.a. Just Like You, a.k.a. Truly Me Dolls. In 1992, the Pleasant Company released a line of American Girl dolls called American Girl of Today, which was then renamed Just Like You in 2006 and again in 2010 to Truly Me. This line has included 92 different dolls over the years, and each doll has its own combination of face mold, skin tone, eye color, and hair color, length, texture, and style. American Girl says the variety helps each kid to choose a doll that represents the individuality and diversity of today's American girls. Also, American Girl chooses a Girl of the Year each year, and each doll also comes along with their own special talent. My favorite was in 2008 when the Girl of the Year was Mia St. Clair, an ice skater. This year, in 2023, the Girl of the Year is Kavi Sharma. Her bio says, Whether it's music or dance, Kavi loves performing. She even choreographs a Bollywood routine with her friends for their school review. With so much excitement, can Kavi find a way to stay on top of her schoolwork and get her dance moves down before the curtain comes up? Her full name is Kavika, and she dreams of performing on Broadway someday. Girls of Many Lands were dolls released in 2002, and these dolls were supposed to be 12 years old instead of 8 to 10 years old like the original books. They also came with an accompanying book. Stupidly, these dolls were made for display only. What kid wants that? As the dolls came dressed in elaborate, detailed outfits, which were generally of ornate style as opposed to casual wear, like the OG historical dolls, and something in their outfit generally has deep significance to an event in their story. There were no extra clothes for the dolls, and few of them even had snaps on the clothes for adjustments. Most of them were sewn or tacked onto the doll. Each doll also came with a tag on their wrist, which told their name, country, and year. The dolls included Isabel Campion, who represents England during Tudor times, with her story taking place in 1592. Cecile Ravel represented France during the pre-revolution period. Layla, who represents Turkey during the Tulip period, which I learned is a period in Ottoman history from the Treaty of Passarowitz on July 21, 1718, to the Patrona Halil Revolt on September 28, 1730. Saba represented Ethiopia during the Age of Judges in 1846. Shu Spring Pearl representing China during the Second Opium War in 1857. Minook representing Alaska during its time as an early American territory and the arrival of American missionaries. Her outfit is much less ornate than the others, but intricately details the attire worn by a girl at the time and in the culture she lives in. Kathleen Murphy represented Ireland during the Global Great Depression, and Neela Sen represented India during their struggle for independence from British rule. 
The Girls of Many Lands retired just three years after its release in 2005. That doesn't surprise me because they don't sound like much fun. <laughs> after that, Bitty Baby began to circulate. Now, baby dolls were my thing. So over the years, I acquired both the original Bitty Baby and the original Bitty Twins, which was one boy and one girl with blonde hair. Bitty Baby was targeted at kids aged three and older, or baby-obsessed little Maddie, and this line retired in 2016. In 2014, there was a reboot of the historical line, probably trying their best to bring them back into popularity, and dubbed them Be Forever Dolls. Each doll received new, redesigned outfits, a two-volume compilation of their books, and a journey book for each doll owner who can take the role of a present-day girl who found her way to the past and met up with one of the historical dolls. That sounds like something that I actually did as a kid and just, like, made up in my head. In 2017, they released a new line of contemporary doll characters— the first doll in the line was Tenny Grant, a young, aspiring country singer-songwriter. Other dolls in this series include Logan, who's Tenny's bandmate, and American Girl's first-ever boy doll, disregarding the Biddy Twins' baby boy doll. The third and final character in this collection was Zi Yang, who was interested in photography and making stop-motion videos. The line was short-lived, and many critics of it think that it was only created to feature the Tenny doll. In 2021, American Girl released a new line of dolls they call World by Us. The line was inspired by both the continual public desire for more diverse characters and the idea for a line which focused on more difficult topics of today. The line was also created in response to the pressure that many companies felt after the summer of 2020 and the racial justice protests across the world. The characters in the series have intertwining, unique stories that focus on current social justice and world improvement issues like racism, immigration, and the environment, along with creating a better world together. We love the intersectionality. The books also include messages and information, including reader questions and information on how you can make change as a young person. The line launched with three main characters, McKenna Williams, Yvette Peters, and Marisa Ochoa. American Girl has stated that more characters have been planned to be released in the future. I have yet to see any. Yvette Peters is a 13-year-old biracial girl who has a passion for upcycling clothing and saving the environment. Her looks remind me a lot of my friend Brie, who is half black, half white, but has bright red hair. Yvette has more strawberry blonde hair and bright eyes, but still has tan skin. In her bio, it says that Evie, as she's nicknamed, passes as white more than her younger brother Bud, who has darker coloring than she has. She hates being asked offensive racial questions, such as asking if she's black or white, and prefers to just identify as herself. There is also a rift between her grandparents on either side of her family due to past racism. This sounds really heavy. The doll wears a super cute vintage-style orange dress and patterned combat boots. And this is interesting. The wiki page says that her face mold is the same as Josefina's. Yvette meets Marisa at their local community center, shortly followed by McKenna, and the three agree to create a community group, which Yvette names World by Us, and all three begin to post on a shared social media page. McKenna Williams is a black girl who is both a fashionista and a budding local activist. She particularly loves African-American and African-inspired clothing. Her first name is Swahili for Happy One. She's 13 years old and lives in D.C. with her parents and younger but taller sister, Amari. 
Makena's doll was made with her own original face mold. Marisa Ochoa is Bolivian on her mother's side and Mexican on her father's side. She's bilingual and she was born and raised in D.C. She plays soccer and dreams of someday playing for the U.S. women's soccer team, maybe even coaching it one day too. Her greatest interest in social justice is the topic of immigration. She wants to work toward helping immigrant families stay together in the U.S., and she gets very upset when people assume that, because she's Latina, that she and her family aren't American citizens. Her face mold was taken from a doll called Joss, the girl of the year in 2020. Now, of course, all these great toys need a great place to be sold to the masses. Instead of deciding to sell the dolls at Target or any other toy stores, the American Girl Company decided to instead build massive interactive stores for their customers. The first one was built in Chicago in 1998, and this location had a restaurant as well as a 150-seat theater. I went to this store back in 2009, and it was ginormous. It also had one of those doll salons and hospitals included by the time that I visited. I'm sure my mom was super thankful that there wasn't one of these stores at the Mall of America, because I would have spent the entire day sitting, having tea with my dolls, spending hours with them in the salon, getting their hair and nails done, and trying to convince my mom that one of them was injured and had to be fixed up in the hospital just so I could get her back in one of those cute little miniature wheelchairs. Apparently now you can even get your doll's ears pierced at the salon. I want a doll that represents who I am today. Full of tattoos, ears and nose pierced, cool thrifted outfits. That'd be so cool. Another American Girl epidemic was the magazine slash catalog. Fun fact, Max's sister was actually on the cover of one of these. And it's so funny because when I saw it, I was like, I remember this magazine. It included not just a way to buy dolls by mail or select the features of the Just Like You doll you wanted. It also included craft ideas, advice columns, fiction stories, and all sorts of other things geared for kids 8 to 14. Now, I couldn't wait for my new issue each month, and I remember circling everything I wanted and leaving the magazine on the counter for my mom, which I'm sure she never paged through. The magazine was first published in 1992, the year I was born, and its first issue was the November-December issue, just in time for the holidays. There's actually a whole Instagram page dedicated to this magazine, and every photo they post transports me back to that moment in time. I would read each copy like a hundred times, and I have amazing recall for some of those memories. It's wild. There were some issues surrounding diversity regarding the magazine, though. A scholar named Nancy Duffy Story, great name, reviewed 57 catalogs and found that only five of them had a front cover depicting a minority girl, and only one cover had a girl holding a doll of a race other than white, and girls of different races never appear on a cover together. This shows that while the dolls are diverse, they are segregated. This is likely due to the incredible lack of nuance surrounding the conversation of race in the United States. This black and white thinking regarding race leads to tokenism, fetishization, and a lack of willingness to rid oneself of implicit biases. Of all of the American Girl products, one of the ones that is most memorable and probably my favorite is The Care and Keeping of You, the body book for girls. The opening letter to the reader says, The more you know about your body, the less confusing and embarrassing growing up will seem, and the easier it will be to talk about. The book is made for kids aged 8 and up and breaks down topics like body hygiene, getting your first period, body changes, and so on. There is no mention of sex or sexuality in this book. 
The pages are filled with cartoon girls of all races and sizes who demonstrate everything from how to shave your legs, how to shop for your first bra, and even how to insert a tampon. The book was published in 1998, and since then it has sold over 5 million copies in their first 25 years on the shelves, and were on the New York Times bestsellers list until 2016. The company updated the book in 2013, featuring more diverse illustrations, and they also released a second book, The Care and Keeping of You 2, the body book for older girls. This book dives deeper into the emotional changes female-identifying people go through during puberty and is aimed for kids 10 and up. In 2017, they also came out with Guy Stuff, the body book for boys. When creating the original book, they held focus groups and learned that tween-aged girls weren't just curious about periods, but also about when they should start wearing a bra and how to deal with the new pimples popping up on their faces. They also consulted a pediatrician to ensure that all the information was medically accurate. And the whole book was written in a sort of cool aunt tone, which showed authority and trust for the reader, but also made them accessible and easy to understand. Some parents found the two-page spread on how to insert a tampon to be inappropriate for the book. In the book, the process is broken down into four steps, and each step includes an anatomically correct diagram of the vagina. Apparently, the older kids' book depicts an even more detailed and descriptive diagram of the female anatomy, including labeling the clitoris, which isn't in the original. The quote, older kids book also covers eating disorders, which I think is amazing and so important since that is the number one mental health problem with teenagers today. From an intersectional feminist lens, the biggest problem with this book, the magazines, the dolls and their books, and every other product from American Girl is how heteronormative it is. If we're going to continue to include more and more diverse characters into the American Girl universe, don't just stop at race. We need representation of differently abled people, which I know the company does have some options for certain disabilities, but they need ones for different gender identities, different sexual identities, dolls who come from different types of families and broader backgrounds. We need fat dolls, awkward dolls, maybe some stick-on pimples for their foreheads and a little package of menstrual products for their accessory bag. Karen Rice, who is the Associate Director of Health Connected, a nonprofit group focused on teaching sex ed, says, The language we use in the classroom is person born in a female's body. We go into the difference between biological sex, sexual orientation, and gender in fifth grade. So this would mean that the demographic for these dolls are ready for these types of conversations and education. I think it's also easy for a lot of feminists to want to attack the fact that girl is so prominent in the company as well, and that we should be working toward de-gendering things. This is a conversation I have with Max when we talk about raising children, and I think that there's a lot of nuance to that conversation. I personally don't think there's anything wrong with calling your child your son or daughter, boy or girl, unless or until that child begins to show you or tell you otherwise, then you must adjust. However, there must be open communication about what those differences are so that your child can best identify themselves and feel most comfortable in their own skin. 
I wish that there was a less heteronormative version of this book because truly the care and keeping of you was so informative to me and I would turn to it so many times that I felt insecure or just when I wanted to know what was coming. But it would also make me feel really bad about myself when I would compare my chest in the mirror to the different stages of breasts, each time praying that I went up a stage and having it never happen. Thankfully, I have great tits now. I'm probably at one of the higher stages. Go me. (laughs) So now to finish up this episode, I wanted to take a personality quiz to see what my historical American Girl doll actually is. So let's take a quiz really quick. Okay, so I found a BuzzFeed quiz entitled, Which Original American Girl Doll Are You? Quiz. Let's get it started. To start things off, choose a pattern. My options are stripes, argyle, plaid, these flowers, those flowers, and more flowers. Um, The first one's kind of like pastel. The other one's like blue, and the other one is red. I'm vibing with the plaid. Now, which head accessory is your favorite? A sun hat, a beret, a flower, a bonnet, a weird hat, or no head accessory. I'm going to go with no head accessory because I don't think hats look very good on me. Okay, pick a way to style your hair. A classic ponytail, a bun, two braids, one braid, I'll leave it down or other. I love having my hair in braids, but I also leave it down most of the time, so I'm going to say leave it down. How would you describe yourself in one word? Funny, caring, brave, smart, helpful, or lively? I would say caring. Which activity sounds the most appealing? Painting or art, dancing, anything outdoors, horseback riding, being with family, or making music? Oh, God. Painting and making music are really tough. I'm going to go with painting, though, though I love making music with Max. It's one of my favorite things to do. All right. What's my worst quality, everybody? I'm reckless. I can be mean. I'm shy. I put myself in dangerous situations. (laughs) I'm gullible, and I can be oblivious. I feel like gullible and oblivious are kind of the same, but I honestly identify with that the most. I would say I'm gullible. I'm really, I trust really easily and I can be tricked really easily. I take people for their word. I don't understand sarcasm. I'm definitely very, very um, gullible. All right. Which color is your favorite? They don't have my favorite color. My favorite color is yellow, but I've been really into lavender lately. My options are green, red, pink, blue, lavender, and orange. So I'm going to go with lavender. Which pet would you most like to have? The options are no pets for me. Absolutely not. A horse, a bird, a dog, a bunny, or a cat. Obviously a dog, my favorite animal. What phone do I have? Someone else's old phone, the newest iPhone, an iPhone 7 or something like that. An old one, but I want a new one. I have a phone, but I don't really use it much, or a Samsung. I think my phone's fairly new. I got a new one a couple months ago. Pick a food. Grilled cheese, fruit, something nutritious, seafood, chocolate, or ice cream. Ice cream 100%. Finally, what's your favorite holiday? Easter, my birthday, Halloween, Christmas, 4th of July, or something else. My birthday... No, I got Samantha. 
No, that's terrible. I really don't like this answer. I was kind of hoping that I would get Molly. I took a different quiz when I first started researching and they gave me Molly. Oh my God, I'm devastated. Well, I'll share this particular quiz on Instagram. So if you want to take it and send me your results, I would really appreciate that because I want to know which American Girl doll y'all are. It's going to be very similar to like, what's your sign, girl, you know? All right. Well, that is all the information on American Girl that I have for you today. I really enjoyed doing this research because, like I said, I was a major American Girl doll fan growing up. But it also made me think a lot about the book series that I've mentioned a few times on this show called Dear America. And I kind of want to talk about those in the future sometime because that series I was super into and I read like most of the books that were available when I was a kid and I remember really really learning a lot from them and loving them a lot so I don't know more future topic ideas But now it's time for me to bother you a little bit about Patreon because there are some really exciting things coming up, especially now that I'm going to be having more time to be putting up extra content and things like that. But the book club is where it's at right now. So this next book that I am covering is my dear friend India Oxenberg's audiobook, which is entitled Still Learning. It is only available on Audible, unfortunately, but usually you can start with a free trial and you can just like get that one to start with. I've been telling her recently that we really need to get that transcribed into a hard copy book because I think that it would be like a bestseller. And I'm also going to have India back on the show for another episode only on Patreon where I will be asking her some of your questions after you've listened to her story. And yeah, I just think it's a really, really important story. It was the first time that I really put myself in the shoes of someone who has been psychologically manipulated like that and in a group like a cult which it was a cult and how she was able to recover from that and heal from that and what that process is like for her so I'm really excited to have another conversation with her it's going to be so weird listening to that story again now that we're so close but I think that it's really important to discuss and I'm hoping to have that episode up very very shortly I'm going to start finishing that one up in a few days so hopefully with the next week I'll have that episode up and like I said once I'm done with this stupid retail job everything is going to be coming up in a lot more of a timely manner for the book club but there is also an eight dollar level available which I have titled the feminist faves club and in that tier you can receive all of these episodes ad free as well as any bonus content that I'm going to be adding in the future which I think is going to be really fun and really special and maybe I'll just pop on and you know ramble and rant on to you randomly sometimes. (laughs) also i haven't gotten a new review in a while so if you wouldn't mind going over to apple podcasts and leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoyed the show i would really really appreciate the support that way but if you do also listen on spotify it wouldn't hurt you to rate me over there as well also feel free to tell your friends and family about the show if you feel like they're going to get something out of it Thank you again so much for supporting me as wonderfully as you all do. I love you each so, so, so very much. And well, that's everything I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, 
and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.